That was over 600 images in two, hour, two minutes and 44 seconds. And I doubt that your mind can process what you just saw. It's the creation of our almighty God. He has the power to create that with a word. Our solar system, the Milky Way galaxy where we live, and the galaxies far beyond where we have ever seen, except through that telescope. One of the most amazing pictures that you just saw might have gone by so fast you didn't catch it. It was toward the beginning of the video. There was a shot, several of them, where it looked just kind of like stars. But they weren't stars. They were galaxies. There's about 18 or 20 of them. Galaxies, each with hundreds of billions of stars and planets and moons all called into being by Almighty God. That blows my mind. I saw these pictures probably about 20 or so years ago. That space telescope's been up there for about 31 years now. And it just rotates around the Earth and it takes pictures of the sky. One of the most amazing pictures, the one I just mentioned of the galaxies, is literally a speck in the sky. If you were to hold a pin, the head of a pin, at arm's length, it's that much of the sky. And there's galaxies. Those are galaxies. Those little oval-shaped things are galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars. And God called them into being, and he knows them all by name. Psalm 78 is the basis for our series, and this passage commands us, the older generations, to help Generation Z, you guys, know certain things about, the, about our God. According to Psalm 78, verse 4, it says, We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell them to the next generation. We will tell them about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power, and about his mighty wonders. So point number one tonight is going to be simply this, the power of God. What can God do? God has the power to create something out of nothing. Here's some scriptures for you tonight I want you to study on and think on. Genesis 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens keep telling the wonders of God, and the skies declare what he has done. And Romans 1 verse 20 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky, and through everything that God has made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. There's one that's not going to be on the screen. I just want to read that one to you, and I found it after I gave Todd my notes, so you'll have to excuse me for that. This is just excerpts from Isaiah chapter 40. And this is God speaking. It says, Who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and the hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or to teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right and to show him the path of justice? No, for all the nations of the world are like a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than the dust on scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. To whom can you compare God? Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? 
Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. To whom will you compare me and who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each of them by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not one of them is missing. How can you say that the Lord does not see your troubles? How can you say that God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all of the earth. He never grows weary or weak. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. It's been a long time. 1987 was before most of you were born, but it was the very first time that I was able to see a spectacle in the sky I had never known was there before. I happened to be in northern Arizona, uh, at Northern Arizona University with a group of high school students. Believe it or not, they had teenagers back then in 1987. And um, I know, right? And uh, <clears throat> the amazing thing about this place was it was 8,000 feet above elevation. And so when you go to Northern Arizona up in the mountains, it's super clear. You can see there's no city lights. Phoenix is many hours away. And so you can see for many, many miles. And as you look up in the sky, you see what I thought was just this bright cloud. And so I asked somebody, I said, what is that cloud? It just kind of sits there, just glowing. And they said, that's the Milky Way galaxy. I said, the Milky Way galaxy? They said, yeah, that's a band of stars, hundreds of billions of stars. And you know, I felt so small when I looked at that. And maybe after seeing all those pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope, maybe you felt just a little bit small. But yet, you know what is amazing? Of all the things that God made in the entire universe, only one did he make in his image. And it was you. He made you in his image. You're special. You're better than the stars. You're better than the galaxies. He loves you more than anything he's ever made. You're important to him. I've heard it said, show me God and I will believe. And you can't prove the existence of God. So I'm going to offer you some questions and some observations. And maybe this seems like a little bit of a rabbit trail. Maybe it is. I just have a question for anyone here that's a doubter. And I'm not here to... to to ridicule, I'm not here to do anything except maybe just have you ask yourself some questions. If you ever wonder about the existence of a creator, let me ask you this, can order ever come from disorder? When I was a kid, I used to blow stuff up. Okay, not bad. I mean, firecrackers, that sort of thing, M80s. I used to blow stuff up. And I can promise you, anything I ever blew up did not look the same when I was done with it. Um, it didn't look more orderly. It looked blown up, right? And, and what's amazing is all the teachers that I had in high school used to tell me that, you know, it just all kind of happened. It was this just super dense thing one day, and it just kind of blew up. And it became what we see. That doesn't hold water with me. I'm sorry. This doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, the last time you blew something up, did it look more orderly? And the answer for me anyway is no. Um, and I kind of thought of it this way. Maybe this sounds silly, but imagine for a moment you had hundreds 
of billions of tornadoes every day going through hundreds of billions of metal scrapyards for hundreds of billions of years, do you ever think there will ever be a brand new Cadillac coming out the back end of that thing? Seriously, it's absurd to me. It seems like, to me, like a fairy tale for adults to think that somehow order can come from disorder. I believe it was made by Almighty God. Where did the laws of nature come from? Did it come from intelligent design or was it random? Where did life come from? Can life come from non-life? It cannot. So let me simplify on my little rabbit trail. You have two choices. The universe either created itself out of nothing, by no one, for no reason, for no purpose, or Almighty Creator designed it, built it, and maintains it. For me, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. I propose that everything that exists needs an engineer and a builder. Right now, you're sitting in this building, right? This building actually was built before most of you were born. So do you think this building just kind of popped up out of the earth? And just, or do you think somebody actually had to build it? Everything that I know of that exists had to be built and engineered by somebody, right? I believe the same thing about our God and about our creation. Um, if you ever went to a crime scene and there were no eyewitnesses, what would you do? You'd look for fingerprints and you'd look for DNA evidence. I believe God's DNA and fingerprints are all over that. Let's take a quick look at the essence and the nature of God. <clears throat> His existence. He's ageless. He's timeless. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has always been and he always will be. He never changes. His power is limitless. It never diminishes. His knowledge and his wisdom are measureless. He knows every single atom and molecule in the entire universe at any given time. He knows where it is. He knows every thought that you think. He knows, hears every prayer that you say. And it's not even work to him. That's how big God is. What does he need? He needs nothing in order to exist. He doesn't need oxygen. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need water. He doesn't even need companionship. He's complete and perfect in every way. He lives in dimensions that are beyond the imagination of human beings. His nature, perfect in every way. He's never sinned. He's never made a mistake. It's impossible for God to lie. He is the very essence of sacrificial love, though. Why does any of this matter? If God is big enough to create the universe with a word, he is more than enough for anything that you will ever face in this lifetime. He's big enough. He's more than enough for anything you will ever face. It's kind of a random question, and we're going to go to point uh, number two. Gen X, or Gen Z, are you looking up or are you looking down? I think sometimes we look down a little bit too much, people. Let's look up and let's, let's look out. Our God is a great God. And there's people that need you. I got more great news for you today. God has the power. And he can be trusted to keep his promises. So I want you to imagine for a moment, um, this is going to excite some of you because you're just starting to get ready to start driving, or maybe you are. So imagine your parents come up to you and they say to you, hey, 
Um, I'm going to give you the vehicle of your dreams. Anything you want. Truck, car, can be anything you want. And don't let your mind go too far. But anything you want. I'm going to put gasoline in it. I'm going to give you a gas card. I'm going to put insurance on it. And you can go anywhere you want in this automobile, except for there's this one square block of town where all the violent crimes happen. It's just a square block. You can't go there. You go anywhere else you want. You got freedom. Just stay away from that one square block where all the violent crime happens. So a friend comes up to you at school and says, wow, man, that's a cool car you got. And you're like, yeah, my parents gave it to me as a gift. It's like, cool. So you can go anywhere you want. It's, I can go almost anywhere I want except for that one square block of town where all the violent crime happens. So your, your friend looks at you and says, man, your parents are holding out on you. Holding out on me? I mean, I got total freedom except for that one place. And, and uh, says, no, you're, they're holding out on you. They must not love you very much. So you decide to listen to the advice of, of your so-called friend, and um, you go to this part of town where all the violent crime happens, and while you're there, you get mugged, you get beat up, you get uh, basically assaulted to the point where you're within an inch of losing your life. Your car gets stolen, and then you go and back to school after you recover in the hospital, and you tell everybody that your friends, you tell your friends that your mom and dad, it's their fault. I should have never given you the car. Isn't that kind of what we did? You know, Adam and Eve, what were they instructed to do? Take care of the garden. Love each other. Don't eat the fruit of one tree. They failed and they opened the door to evil, to death, and everything that goes with it. And I've heard it said, if God is real and if God is good, why is there evil and death in the world? The world got this way because that's what we chose. God never chose for this world to be the way it is right now. We did. And we blame God. God, how come you didn't stop it? Um, so I've been with my wife now, believe it or not, for 44 years. She was my high school sweetheart. And uh, she's still hot. And um, maybe not for me. I mean, me, not hot, not so hot. But anyway, um, here's the thing. So 44 years ago, I met her. And some of you are thinking, wouldn't it be cool if I could just program my girlfriend or boyfriend to just love me, right? Push a couple buttons, like, oh man, that'd be so cool. No, it wouldn't, because love is chosen. Love's always a choice, isn't it? If you could program somebody to love you, it wouldn't really be love, they'd be a machine. And God says the same thing to us. He said, listen, I just want you to love me. I love you. I give you one instruction. And we just couldn't do it. And then we got what we, we deserved, I guess. Love's a choice. Some people have said, um, you know, how come there's evil in the world if God is good? Well, the presence of evil does not disprove the existence of a loving God. It simply proves there's evil in the world. Evil that we as humans chose over obedience to God, the God who loves us. But the good news is that God has the power and can be trusted to keep his promises. This is best seen in his promise to send a savior who would crush the serpent's head. Genesis 3 verse 15, if you want to look that up later. So summarize, God saw the mess we made. He didn't walk away. He promised to make a way for us to come back to him, and he did. 
He literally poured himself into a human embryo. He was born into our human fallen world. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't. And then he sacrificed himself on the cross as the perfect and complete payment for our sins. And then he took the keys of death and hell back from Satan. He didn't ask pretty please. He took them. And then he rose from the dead to conquer death. God's not finished. There's still some unfinished work to do, isn't there? If you read in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 to 5, I don't know whether we've got that on the screen, um, but it goes like this. If it's not on the screen, that's okay, I'll read it to you. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had disappeared, and so had the sea. Then I saw new Jerusalem, the holy city, coming down from God in heaven. It was like a bride dressed in her wedding gown ready to meet her husband. Okay, I'm going to stop a second. Every time I go to a wedding and I see the bride, I can't help but cry. Not because she's beautiful, because she is always beautiful. But I look at the groom's face and he's always got this look, you know, and he usually is crying. And then I do. But imagine for the moment the beauty that God sees in us and that he's making heaven for us to be like a bride. It says here, I heard a loud voice shout from the throne. God's home is now with his people. He will live with them and they will be his own. Yes, God will make his home among his people. He will wipe all tears from their eyes. There will be no more death, suffering, crying, or pain. These things of the past are gone forever. Then the one sitting on the throne said, I make all things new. Write down what I've said. My words are true and can be trusted. So what do we have to look forward to as believers in Jesus Christ? No more funerals. No more cemeteries. No more death of friends and grandparents and siblings and parents. No more tears no more sickness, no more COVID, no more cancer, no more terrorism, bullying, canceling one another out, no more hunger, thirst, poverty, old age, depression, suicide, racism, politics, fake news, divorce, broken families, broken bodies, broken dreams, broken promises, no more abused and discarded and aborted children, and there'll be no more goodbyes in heaven. Amen. Why does this matter? Because God can be trusted to keep his promises always. And because it is impossible for God to lie, then hope isn't just wishful thinking because it's based upon God's word. So I encourage you to hold on to the truth that a better day is coming. God's not finished yet. The last point I wanted to make tonight is this one. God has the power to give us new life. If you look back in the beginning, God breathed into man's nostrils and he became a living being. At the resurrection, God raised a very much dead Jesus back to life. In the present, God can give new life to all who place their trust in him. And in the future, God will raise up our physical bodies and make them brand new, and they will live forever. 
In the book of Isaiah, God asked this question, is anything too difficult for me? So I'll speak for myself. God took a thief, a liar, a selfish, angry, screwed up kid that was told he'd never amount to much, a kid whose middle school small group leader said he would never make it as a Christian, a kid who was told by his dad he would never be as good as his brother. He took an insecure, prideful man, a man prone to depression, suicidal thoughts, and he forgave me, adopted me into his forever family, and accepted me as I am, but loved me too much to leave me that way. Why does it matter? Because what he did for me, he can do for you. Nobody's too far from God, not even you. So I ask the question tonight, What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with this almighty God who loves you that much? That he would pour himself into a human body and become one of us. What will you do with him? I'd like to say a prayer. And during this prayer, there's a part of it, if you want to, you can repeat it after me. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for the good news. I thank you for the good news that you are more than enough to help us in any time of need. I thank you, Lord God, that you came into our worlds. You gave yourself for our sins. That death couldn't hold you. And that you offer us new life if we'll just ask for it. And so tonight, Lord Jesus, I want to lift up these students and leaders before you. And if there's anyone here tonight that just needs to ask you into their life, I pray that they'd repeat this prayer after me in their hearts. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you love me. I ask you to come in tonight. I ask you to save me. I ask you to be my Savior and be my Lord. And that's it. Imagine for a moment, it's Christmas time. And underneath the tree, there is a gift. And it's beautifully wrapped. It's got your name on it. Somebody paid a lot of money for it. But they're offering it to you for free. What do you have to do in order to get that gift? You just simply have to take it. So that's what I'm inviting you to do tonight. If you've never asked Jesus in, just ask him. He'll come in. Tonight you have a great opportunity for the first time to meet with your small group this season. Two years ago when I stood on this stage, I had an aggressive form of cancer, and today I've been cleared and clean of it for two years. And my God is able to do that. But the most important thing to me wasn't that I'm cured. The most important thing to me is I had people around me that supported me and prayed for me. And so your small group is the people that you need in your life to support you and to help you because every one of you is going to go through a really tough time at one time or another this year. You probably already are in it. 
And if not, you're heading for it. Because we live in a fallen world. And until Jesus comes back, it's not going to be easy. That's why we need people. We need each other. So I invite you not only to be a part of a small group, but I invite you to really be a part of it and to love one another. And in doing so, you'll find out the love of Jesus as well is with you. Thank you, Lord, for being with us tonight. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.